Okay, so I'm here with Yelena from Swap Hamilton, um, and I'm hoping you can tell us a bit about yourself and that we can discuss some of the differences between sex work and trafficking and why the two are often conflated. So, yeah, are you able to tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? <laughs> sure. Uh, my name is Yelena Vermillion. Um, I'm the co-chair of the Sex Workers Action Network of Waterloo Region as well as the Sex Workers Action Program of Hamilton. Um, and yeah, let's talk about uh, human trafficking and why often it is a misunderstood concept. So could you talk a bit about what sex work is? Sure. So sex work is um, the consensual exchange of sexual services for money or other things of value. Um, so it could be someone trading a sexual service for cash. It could be someone trading um, sexual service for a place to stay or food to eat or other forms of uh, subsistence. What is survival sex? A lot of people throw that word around. Survival sex or survival sex work is kind of like um, a sensitive topic because often people who are describing uh, these kinds of sexual exchanges um, perhaps maybe you're judging them, but survival sex typically refers to someone who is providing sexual services that perhaps if they were in other economic circumstances, they would not provide. So for example, um, a trans sex worker who has limited um, social capital might have to offer bareback services in order to uh, have the same amount of income and clientele, because perhaps, you know, for example, trans women are um, often pushed out of the secular labor force because of transphobia. So if a trans woman, for example, who doesn't pass well, needs to revert to sex work to survive and to take care of herself, maybe offering bareback services is how she subsists um, in a world that doesn't value her existence. So that might be one example of survival sex, but one, but survival sex itself um, is very is defined by the person to whom it is survival. Um, for which it is survival, um, if that makes sense. You mentioned bareback. What, what is that? So like sexual intercourse without any prophylactic. How specifically is sex work different than trafficking and labor for sex? All right. So like when we're talking about trafficking, we need to really understand the historical context of this. So we have to refer to the Palermo Convention or the Palermo Protocol, which was uh, enacted by the United Nations in 2000. Um, and it was only starting to be enforced as of December 25th, 2003. Um, and the Palermo Convention uh, is sort of the internationally accepted definition of what trafficking or human trafficking is. And it includes three things, three conditions. An act, also known as like the recruitment, procurement, or kidnap of the victim. Means, meaning through force or deception, the victim is convinced um, or put in a vulnerable position, and purpose, uh, meaning um, that the perpetrator is doing this for the purpose of forcing labor from the victim. In a Canadian context, the actual criminal code definition uh, 279.04 in the criminal code uh, defines human trafficking as the recruitment, transportation, harboring, and or exercising control, direction, or influence over the movements of a person in order to exploit that person typically through sexual exploitation or forced labor. Um, now, talking about human trafficking is really very sensitive because often there is a conflation made um, by 
people in organizational and institutional powers with sex work, such that the conversations we have around the labor rights, the working conditions, and safety of sex workers is often deprioritized and conflated with victimization and and exploitation. The largest reason we refer to the Palermo Convention, it's really important we consider it because in that definition, which has been internationally adopted, um, it does define prostitution as exploitation. And so you have this sort of schism where you have organizations seeking human trafficking funding because they want to do well and they're led to believe that human trafficking is more of an issue than domestic violence, it's more of an issue than sexual assault, um, other forms of coercion or violence. Um, And so they're sort of pigeonholed into certain types of behavior because they're mandated by that funding, federal funding, to provide service to trafficking victims. And often sex workers as individuals who don't want to identify themselves as sex workers for fear of police surveillance, for fear of deportation, for fear of other discriminatory experiences, um, will allow themselves to be lumped in with um, the label or victimization um, of a human trafficking victim so that they can seek safety in one way or another because often sex workers who are explicitly sex workers and seek services um, aren't provided the service that they require and are just encouraged to exit the industry as opposed to um, you know the actual material services that they have come for. The other thing that's important to consider is that in December of 2018 the House of Commons Standing Committee on Justice and Human Rights um, released a report summarizing their four-month-long consultation on human trafficking. And the committee did meet with a variety of groups across the country, some of them working directly with people impacted by human trafficking, as well as anti-human trafficking policy. But it's important to note, however, that that committee did end up reproducing the problematic conflation throughout its report by failing to position itself on sex work policy and consequently failing to acknowledge sex work as labor rather than human trafficking. People do choose sex work. People often choose sex work. For millennia, um, there is an idiom that says it's the oldest profession. It is definitely related to gendered labor, and it's also related to other things like migrants' rights, women's rights, disability rights, LGBTQ rights. Very, very often, victims of human trafficking, legitimate human trafficking victims, uh, are also victimized through these processes because they are used as fodder for the criminal justice system. Um, whether they're coerced to uh, testify against their their trafficker or whether they are used as a statistic in order to gain more grant dollars. Um, often non-governmental organizations really have a large responsibility in this uh, equation, as do social workers, um, because, you know, as we know, all clients and third parties are seen as criminals or pimps. And this includes people that sex workers might hire, such as security or a photographer, a driver or a secretary. And when you are essentially catching so many um, peripheral people in these sexual exchanges that are consensual and then pigeonholing them into the human trafficking definition, which is in by definition flawed, prostitution is not exploitation, it causes a whole lot of mess. And so often the dollars go towards 
human trafficking initiatives which don't materially help or impact in a positive way um, the actual victims and takes money away from the peer-led organizations that are doing the work within their communities with their affected uh, affinity groups um, and therefore causes more material harm. So it's really important that uh, like, and an example of this in the United States is PEPFAR, where, you know, organizations or NGOs have to commit to denouncing prostitution in order to receive or be eligible to receive federal funding. So it's very much a similar sort of um, censorship federal authority that is, you know, influencing this. And of course, even with the Liberal government's commitment to decriminalization, we still haven't heard a peep from the Justice Minister about it. We haven't had the reconvening on um, that committee. And it is incredibly important to understand that failing to recognize sex workers as primary targets of anti-trafficking initiatives, is, and therefore which makes them primary stakeholders, is a mistake. Sex workers are um, directly impacted by the criminal laws relevant to sex work, which include measures against trafficking. And therefore, they are the human trafficking legislation we have in Canada is anti <clears throat> inherently anti-sex work and it does encourage over surveillance over policing and funding for law enforcement that alienates sex workers not only from police but their community supports as well all sex workers are negatively impacted by anti-human trafficking e um, efforts um, again a lot of this is all the result of an ideological conflation of sex work with human trafficking and it also, beyond that, takes away from the true crime of labor, general labor trafficking um, that happens, you know, in every industry, agricultural, um, you know, retail, anything really. Most workers nowadays are underpaid, their rent is too high, they're abused by their managers or their superiors. This, you know, sex workers often have more choice and more autonomy within their work than other industries or other workers do. And I feel that that is a large part of the reason why it's policed and vilified, um, conflated with human trafficking in order to deny sex workers their rights. Um, the truth is most sex workers are indoor workers. Many outdoor workers have been f are there because of necessity, because they don't have the economic means to um, you know, rent a space or a hotel to see clients indoors, or they don't have um, the social position to be able to facilitate that. One other thing I'd like to mention, <clears throat> give you a concrete example of how human trafficking initiatives uh, harm sex workers and actually cause harm. Uh, in Arizona, Project Rose, which was reaching out to the sexually exploited, was a collaboration between the Phoenix Police Department Arizona State University School of Social Work and a number of local service organizations which rounded up street-based sex workers en masse in two to three day stings and forces them to enter into a six-month diversion program or face criminal charges. Much like Northern Spotlight here in Canada where, um, you know, very similar, they are considered to be human trafficking victims and if they don't, they often seek uh, criminal prosecution or deportation. And mentioning deportation brings me into my next point, which is specifically talking about how anti-trafficking laws impact upon migrant sex workers and migrant workers in general. So 
So similar to non-migrant sex workers, migrant sex workers may wish to work with third parties to help organize and support their work, to help communicate with clients or to help advertise their services. And they also might find it valuable to work with others who have more knowledge about the local sex work sector. But, but the laws currently in Canada criminalize those activities. And it does make it difficult for migrant sex workers to keep themselves safe, um, such as with working with others. And often third parties uh, working with migrant sex workers are purposefully identified as traffickers rather than co-workers, employees, or employers. A large part of um, the trafficking discourse also relates to the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, which the Canadian Alliance of Sex Work Law Reform does recommend repealing um, certain sections, I believe 279.01 to 279.03, um, among certain other subsections. Also um, important to note that a lot of the tactics of the government um, and legislators to, to confuse people about what sex work versus human trafficking really is, um, is also in part to feed to the public this idea that sex worker oppression doesn't really exist anymore or that it's waned a lot. But the truth is that the, although the federal government has claimed that the new laws, meaning C-36 or Protection of the Exploited Communities and Persons Act, um, although the federal government said that those laws would not be used against sex workers, migrant sex workers have been disproportionately arrested and detained and deported under those offenses. Um, and so it's really important to look at the difference in what um, we are being fed, the, the information that we are being fed about these topics while also being compassionate and having critical thinking skills to ultimately provide effective, impactful service to clientele who require service, whether that means they are a consensual sex worker who has experienced um, violence on the job, or whether they're a person who has been forced to sell sexual services. We ultimately want to disillusion people about those differences so that they can provide better service to clientele. Ultimately, it is about providing the best service you can to clientele and making our communities safer, making our peers um, feel that they have autonomy, that they can seek services that they require for their own health, um, and without fear and without any sort of discrimination. So again, just highlighting, if there was one thing that I really want people to take from this, it's that um, anti-human -tra anti trafficking initiatives increase the vulnerability of sex workers. They are grounded in invasive investigations, punitive raids, arrest, detainment, and so-called rescue and rehabilitation, namely deportation. These policies promote racism and anti-immigration um, attitudes by assuming that all non-white or non-Western sex workers are in Canada illegally and that they should be supported. And it is also incredibly important to look at other parts of the world, such as New Zealand, um, which would be removing criminal sanctions against sex work, which was adopted in New Zealand in 2003. They found that there is no evidence of trafficking of migrant women in the sex trade they found that a decriminalized sex work sector makes it easier to detect human trafficking in labor for sex. And they also found an increased ability to report coercive or abusive third parties to police. So the data does show um, that human trafficking and sex work are very different. However, it is used in a way um, to confuse the public such that 
your average uh, citizen is has been deputized to be vigilant and to call the police on people that they normally might not or to um, do be distrustful or suspicious of their community members or neighbors when they sh necessarily wouldn't have been. Really important to note that the criminalization of sex work does create favorable conditions for violence and exploitation, including human trafficking. In-kind in trafficking detection tools are often based on racist, classist, and sexist ideologies about people who work in the sex industry. So with this in mind, you know, these recommendations have encouraged surveillance from social, legal, private, and other institutions. But what's important to note is that it's mostly affected uh, indigenous women, migrant women, and youth who sell or trade sexual services because they are being assumed to be exploited without recognizing the context in which they sell sex. Continued surveillance helps to break trust and increase sex workers' suspicion of their hotel staff or travel industries, of law enforcement, of social services, and others who are called upon to socially profile them. And that surveillance alienates and isolates people who are victims of violence and does not de help detect exploitation or make it more visible. We should also be listening to the voices of sex workers who have time and time again expressed that they very often experience police violence up to and including sexual assault that never gets um, proper justice. So sex workers are more often than not um, in need of protection from police rather than by them. The House of Commons Standing Committee on Justice and Human Rights in their December 11th, 2008 report fails to include the sex workers group recommendation that the education provided to NGOs about human trafficking be based on empirical evidence. So that standing committee recommended more funding for education about human trafficking be given to NGOs without that education being based on empirical evidence. So ultimately, like workers in other sectors, sex workers can be victims of human rights violations, including human trafficking, but like workers in other sectors, and as the committee pointed out in its report, not all sex workers are victims of human trafficking. Furthermore, not all violence and exploitation within the sex industry is related to trafficking. Sex workers who are trafficked need to be able to access the same supports as people trafficked in other labor sectors. Sex workers who have experienced violence and exploitation not linked to trafficking also need to be able to access the same supports as people working in other industries. This requires us to understand sex workers' realities from a human, human rights and personal safety lens, rather than a focus on criminality, morality, and victimhood. It is only when sex work is not perceived as exploitation that sex workers' human rights, including their personal safety and working conditions, can be recognized and respected. And this includes human trafficking victims. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that prostitution is not exploitation. What would you say to somebody who would argue that all prostitution, all sex work is exploitative and every, anyone engaging in that is exploited? I would say that I'm sorry that they feel that way and that they have a closed mind. I choose prostitution because it allows me to pay my rent. I am a person who lives with disabilities. I am a person who struggles to work a secular job. Um, <clears throat> I live with ADHD and I'm on the spectrum. And the convergence of all these experiences and the particular oppressions that I face in my life um, make it such that the flexible schedule of sex work being able to have control and more autonomy over when I work, how I work, um, and what services I provide um, has been empowering to me such that I feel like 
I have developed many skills. Um, I, and I have materially developed many skills. I design websites. I provide customer service. I provide therapy emotionally, sexually, you know. There is so much involved in sex work beyond this disgust, this idea of disgust or this concept, concept of disgust that people, you know, keep in their minds. Sex work can be loving. Sex work can be healing. Sex work can be kind. Sex work can be soft. It is not just about the bare... Um, exchange of an orgasm for money it is it is about intimacy it is about connecting from a human being to another human being it is about nurturing each other and yes sex may be involved but it is not it is not all that is contained within sex work and that is to say that even if there is violence uh, experienced that does not mean that a sex worker should be criminalized for experiencing violence while providing those services I understand that we need to make our choices for ourselves. And if we feel that it is disgusting for ourselves, then I absolutely implore you to never do sex work. However, to impose that morality on the world is harmful. I might be paraphrasing, but I think you mentioned that um, some of the indicators that people are told to watch for um, when trying to detect trafficking are racist, sexist, and classist. Can you maybe talk a bit about how or why that is? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, touching a bit on the history again, this is farther, like farther before the Palermo Convention in the early 1900s. There often was surveillance on single women who traveled because they were feared to be sexual deviants or sexually depraved, or more specifically, uh, spreading sexually transmitted, uh, sexually transmitted bloodborne infections. And part of these recommendations include things like if she carries condoms, if she has a lot of luggage, if she's wearing like uh, expensive clothing, if somebody is holding her passport or other form of identification, if she is accompanied by an older man. And specifically in some of those recommendations, they mention racialized men. They will mention the contrast of the victim being a lighter-skinned person uh, and the supposed predator being dark-skinned. This is based in the absolute white supremacist myth of black men raping white women, and it is fear-mongering, and it is used to propel this anti-trafficking movement and bring those dollars to law enforcement, to bring those dollars to NGOs that are purporting to help but are actually causing harm and so other examples are um, if a woman has a lot of people coming in and out of the hotel room that might mean she's trafficked or it could mean she's just working right she could maybe she rented that hotel room herself and you know maybe she rented it with a friend to save money uh, but of course that would be third party that would be criminalized the FBI was founded in 1908 specifically to investigate and combat supposed white slavery in American brothels, leading to the White Slave Traffic, also known as the Mann Act of 1910, M-A-N-N. -N. International policing, in fact, developed in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in response to both the increased quote-unquote anarchist terrorism of the 1890s and the threat of international prostitution slash quote-unquote white slavery. So again, I'm just going to talk about sort of like the um, situation that NGOs get put in because there are, of course, individuals and whole groups of 
of organizations that really do mean to do well, but they often are stuck within the infrastructure. So relating to the funding that we were talking about earlier and how NGOs are mandated when they receive human trafficking funding um, to use that funding in specific ways, we need to state this actually does reduce an organization's ability to help people that are trafficked as well as sex workers who experience violence or human trafficking because they're because of the way that their funding mandates um, specific support be uh, employed um, as well as encouraging exit programs which is also another heinous um, sort of tactic so you've talked about a third party in my experience people often talk about a pimp and a trafficker as one in the same um, and again, that any third party participation is exploitative. Can you maybe talk about whether a pimp and a trafficker are different and, and how those roles are different? So I think that it's really important, again, to talk about pimp um, in historical terms. So pimp was often a racialized term used against black men. And we have to understand that the role of a pimp, a third party, meaning a person who helped you get sex work clients, um, was not originally exploitative. Um, before the age of the internet when a sex worker could advertise their sexual services safely online independently without the help of other people um, they needed the help of other people and so whether they knew um, a gentleman in their neighborhood who had good connections dressed well you know had the social capital and skills to network and obtain or procure those clients for the sex worker and maybe he took a fee maybe not but it was mutually agreed upon and it was mutually beneficial not exploitative so when we're talking about pimp we need to take that in consideration the sort of the racialized and and the the racist undertones um, again trafficker is also slightly racialized in the sense that the way that human trafficking legislation is employed and enforced by law enforcement ultimately ends up harming more, um, sorry, harming disproportionately migrant sex workers, indigenous sex workers, youth sex workers, um, and transgender, sometimes sex workers. So difference between a trafficker and a pimp, if you were to make a distinction, would be that a trafficker is someone that um, is exploiting the victim against their will in one way or another and a pimp um, could be uh, a comrade could be someone welcome could be a person that uh, you deal with within your sex work business in order to make the business work you could see a pimp in that equation or in that context being similar to a valet for a hotel or you know just some sort of supplementary or auxiliary part of a business uh, a business's dealings. Um, of course, there are pimps that have been exploitative, and and you know this I think is more indicative of of gender power dynamics and um, you know even overarching horphobia, the lack of respect we have for people who engage in sexual labor um, or sell sexual services or trade for sexual services. So, like some concrete examples of third parties. So, if I wanted to go to so let's. If I'm not working out of my apartment and I wanted to go rent a hotel room to have a separate space, not my residence, to work out of, um, and I wanted to share the cost with a fellow sex worker, that becomes a brothel and we're criminalized. So where I am just seeking to save money, you know, 
a husband and a wife living together save on rent or save on their mortgage. Um, the sex workers seek to save money in their working uh, workplaces because of the way that the world is set up. But the way that the law is set up, they become criminalized. Other examples would be photographers. If you want to pay a photographer to take photos of your uh, yourself in order to to market your sex work services, if you want to hire security or a driver, all of those people can be liable to being charged uh, with human trafficking charges because they are considered third parties and they will immediately be considered exploitative. But often, sex workers require the services of other people to you know, make their business flow, you know, often they get photos uh, on a regular basis, for example. So any interaction sex workers have with other people are criminalized. And before C-36, actually, uh, if you lived with a boyfriend, he could have, you know, he could have been arrested for for just living with you. You could have, uh, as a roommate, just if you lived with a friend and you did sex work, they could be arrested. There's a lot of impact on the language, from the language we use, which we don't really understand. So it's important to talk about. As somebody who works at an organization with an anti-human trafficking program um, within a violence against women organization, how can we do better? What an excellent question. First of all, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I think, you know, keeping in mind that the material impact of these programs are harmful is really important. And that often being a true ally or truly helping your community through um, these NGOs sometimes means breaking the rules, whether people like to hear that or not. And that includes a social worker not reporting to children's aid or uh, the police or school officials or immigration officials when they learn about a client doing sex work or if they disclose that they're HIV positive, for example. And one example I would like to refer to is the Women Against Violence Against Women Rape Crisis Center in British Columbia, who on July 18th, 2018, made an apology to the sex worker community. And I'm just going to read that apology to you because it's very straightforward and short. July 18th, 2018, to the sex worker community. As an organization, we always say that systems and perpetrators of violence need to be held accountable. This is no different when we have enacted harms ourselves. Today, we're writing this letter to take accountability. We have taken actions that have caused harm to sex workers, and it is important that we take responsibility for those actions. In 2008, we produced a position paper on sex work titled Stepping Out of the Binary. The paper framed the sex work industry as inherently violent and oppressive. It failed to recognize the resilience, agency, and autonomy of sex workers. It also conflated sex work with trafficking and exploitation. In addition, we have received feedback regarding our service delivery. While our services have been accessed by some members of the sex worker community, they have not been affirming and widely accessible by the broader sex work community. Our public position was that we critiqued and challenged the sex work industry as a whole, but would not turn away individual sex workers who wanted to access our services. That position, this position, is inherently flawed. It is not possible to support individuals and also call for the abolition of their profession. Our service delivery and the writing we've put out have sent the messages to members of the sex worker community and their allies that sex workers could not access our services. We're sorry for this. We support sex work. We support the rights of sex workers. We believe sex workers should have access to the services they need when they need them. And we are committed to changing our service delivery to meet the needs of the broader sex work community. 
We'll be taking down the paper we published. We will not, however, hide it or make it inaccessible. It will be available should community members want to read it. In addition, we will conduct an audit of our services, looking at the gaps that have made our services inaccessible to the sex worker community. Following this audit, we will enact changes in our service delivery to fill these gaps. To everyone who has done the hard work of giving us feedback over the last few years, we're sorry that we did not act sooner. We hear you. We are committed to being better. Thank you. WAVAW's board, leadership, and staff. So I think, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that GWWC needs to make an apology for any particular thing. Um, <clears throat> did I get the acronym right? <laughs> right. But I do think that we, as people in social services, need to have a deep look at the large impact we, as social service providers, have on our clients. And really, the responsibility of of us and ours to critically think about what we are fed, what information we are told, and making sure that we bring that critical thought to when we're actually providing service because ultimately it can be the difference between causing harm and you know, helping someone move forward in their life and heal. I really appreciate your time today. I'm um, glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, uh, check out swanwaterloo.ca. Check out swaphamilton.com. Um, we have social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook pages where most of our, uh, you know, dissemination of articles happens. Check me out on Twitter uh, at Isis Intrepid, I-S-I-S-I-N-T-R-E-P-I-D, or email me at yelena, J-E-L-E-N-A, at isis-intrepid.com. I'd also like just to say that for the social service providers who see the injustices occurring, who want to truly help, to truly overhaul and change the system, we do see you and we thank you for using your positions um, to help hopefully little by little change the system, to improve it, to reform it. And just remember, sex work is work. It's not inherently exploitative, and everybody deserves to feel safe, to be safe, and deserves labor protections and human rights that are unalienable. Thank you again.